before we get into our Bible study this morning, um, uh, Bruce has some, some CDs out on the table in the, in the foyer if you're interested in taking home some of his music. Um, there's a couple of CDs there, Christmas CDs from his time when he was worship leader at his church in Memphis, and uh, you may, may like those. Um, but uh, some of the songs that he sang today and last night, uh, I'm not sure if, if they're on any of the CDs here, but uh, if you really love his music, uh, just go to iTunes and uh, look up Bruce Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, and uh, you will be blessed, because that's what I did. And, and uh, there's, there's a number of, of CDs that he's done over his many years as being a a Christian musician and a worship leader, so I just want to want to encourage you on that. John chapter five. We're going to continue our study in, in John chapter five. I, can't, I just came to realize as I was working on this this week is that that we we've been in chapter five now. This is our fourth week going, and um, there there obviously are some things here that that we want to focus our attention upon. Uh, more than in other chapters, not that all the other chapters are not important, but what is important here are certain basics connected as well to uh, our understanding of the nature of the ministry of Jesus in the time in which he lived on this earth. And, uh, and so this is one reason why we're spending a little bit of time on it. Uh, not to mention that last week, of course, was our time of communion, and this week I wanted to give uh, Bruce a little time to sing some of his songs uh, for you. And so uh, it, it kind of abbreviates our, our time. So I, I realized there was a need to kind of rehash some things uh, from our previous uh, study. Now, I, I, I want to preface everything with, with a little story from yesterday. I, I was um, uh, had, had been invited to participate in a uh, Car- uh, Commissioner Carlos Leon's uh, prayer breakfast, which was at uh, uh, a hotel this yesterday morning, and and um, was asked if I would uh, pray for uh, the um, uh, our military and our law enforcement uh, uh, people. Uh, as uh, and so I represented the uh, El Paso County Sheriff's Office because I'm the lead chaplain for the sheriff's office, and and so. Um, the time came to to do the the prayer and and uh, leading up to that there was some patriotic music and uh, uh, a beautiful song that was written by um, uh, actually a, a, a captain in the in the in the, uh, in the army who uh, wrote a song called the tatter that tattered flag beautiful song and followed by the battle hymn of the republic and you know we you know there was this, uh, an emphasis on 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 praying for our nation and. Um, when, when I was hearing all of these things, and I had already, you know, prayed to have some focus on what needed to be lifted up in prayer, one, one thing came to mind. What came to mind was that when our military and our law enforcement community personnel all do their jobs right, when they do what they do day in and day out with integrity and honesty and dedication, we would think that that should be uh, praised, and it should. But instead, what happens today? 
our military do their job, our, our law enforcement community do, do their, they do their job, and, and then they get attacked for it. And it shows that the climate of the nation has just completely flip-flopped. And, and I, I, I thought about that so heavily because of where we are in our text here in John chapter 5. Because as, as you remember that the onset of this chapter that, that Jesus had made his way to the pool of Bethesda. He made his way to the place called the house of grace and mercy. And there, knowing a man's life was about to drastically change forever, a man paralyzed for 38 years would finally receive the healing that he sought for religiously but had no one to mediate on his behalf until, until the Messiah of Israel spoke to him and said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And he not only healed this man physically, but he gave him a new life spiritually. And that should have been reason enough for celebration. But instead, the religious leaders who were aware of that significant event in Jerusalem were more incensed that the Sabbath had been violated than in acknowledging that a man had been healed, let alone rejoice over it. And once they knew that it was Jesus who had healed the man, they confronted him about violating the Sabbath, and the Lord's response was simple. The Lord's response was simple. He was only doing what the Father was doing. And so in effect, he was being attacked for doing right and doing good. But the Lord Jesus defended his actions by pointing out that he was merely imitating his father. And so they sought all the more to kill him. They sought all the more actually to execute him as one who had broken their interpretation of the laws of God. And so the account of breaking the Sabbath would eventually lead to the charge of blasphemy because Jesus also claimed to be equal with God, which they rightly understood Jesus as saying that he was God. Everything the Father does, he said, I do. And they interpreted that as blasphemy and that was right in the sense that what Jesus said was exactly right. He was equal to the Father. In every way. And this would certainly be confirmed years later by a former religious leader. One who was named Saul of Tarsus and now we call him the Apostle Paul. But he would write in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Has in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made <clears throat> the worlds. Now we need to go on, but I, I want to stop here for just a moment because I'll, every time we get to this, I, I need to emphasize this thought. What do you see here at the beginning of this verse? But that Paul says has, that Jesus has, or, or that God has in these last days spoken unto us. In these last days. The question is, when did the last days begin? 
Now remember this, we are today in the last of the last of the last of days. As far as we see the scriptures. But the last days had to have a beginning. And Paul is saying that after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the birth of the church, the last days began. The apostles, the disciples of Jesus, throughout those early years, all of them believed that Jesus would return in their generation and in their time. They all waited for the coming of the Lord again then. How much more should we, as we see the things happening in this world around us, and as we see the day of Christ approaching? So I just needed to emphasize that here. But God has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Notice that, His Son. Paul says, He is the Son of God. And He is God the Son. Whom He has appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory. And God, it it tells us in the Old Testament that God doesn't share His glory with anyone. Yet Jesus is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, the exact stamping of the person of God in Jesus. And upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So from our previous study, we know that Jesus claimed to be equal with God. But He also claimed to have the power to give life. And again, proof that He was, in fact, the Son of God and God the Son. Last week we looked at verse 21 that said, For as the Father raises up the dead, now this is Jesus speaking, For as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, which means He makes them alive, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. The Son is the one who gives life as well. Why? Because He and the Father are one. And the Hebrew Scriptures clearly teach that only God could give life or raise the dead to new life. You can go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 39 where God Himself says, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Some say, well, that seems harsh for God to say. But folks, remember this. God is a righteous God. And because He's a righteous God, He's also a God of justice. God is just. Now remember what we have been studying about what Jesus said to these religious rulers. He is equal with God. He's been given authority by God. He has the authority to give life. And as we learned last time, he also has the authority to judge. The Father does not judge. He's given that authority to the Son. And so when you see this kind of language, you have to understand what he is and who he is as not only God who is righteous, but he's true and he's just. And the same idea comes forth from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, that says, The Lord killeth and maketh alive, he bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. So the ability to give life 
is the prerogative of deity. It is the prerogative of the one true and living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel. And consequently, when Jesus claims to be able to give life, he is also clearly claiming to be God. And again, this is to, uh, this is to uh, uh, make clear to the detractors, uh, those people that oftentimes say, well, Jesus never said that he was God. And I said last week, time and again, Jesus says it, but you've got to, you've got to read it and you've got to study it. You've got to understand what it is that is being said. So we also saw last time that one of the proofs of his deity was the authority given to him to judge. Now once again he claimed the authority and ability to exercise a function that the Jews universally held belonged to God alone. Only God judges. Only God is the true judge. And all of these things will be wrapped up in the following section that we're going to study today. So let's look at verses 24 through 30. This is all we're going to do here today. Verses 24 through 30 of John chapter 5. Jesus, and I begin with verse 24 because verse 24 is a transitional verse between what was said before and what is going to be said uh, in the next section. And so Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word. Now I want you to notice the emphasis that Jesus places on hearing the word of God. Jesus said, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life. I've underlined that little phrase because I want you to notice the tense that Jesus uses. Whoever hears the word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. Not come into condemnation. You you might want to underline that in your Bibles. But is passed from death unto life. And then he goes on and says, verily, verily. So this is the second verse with with those words beginning, which means truthfully, truthfully. This you can count on. It is truth, and so you need to listen. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Again, the emphasis on hearing. This time, the emphasis on hearing the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not, he says. Don't be amazed at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Again, notice the emphasis on hearing, hearing, hearing the voice. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, I'm going to come back to this verse next time. Because I want to make clear what the Lord meant by this. I actually will say something about it later, but, but we do need to come back because theologically speaking, some will say, well, you see, all you need to do is be a good person and do pr- good things. But you, 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 would be, you would be misunderstanding and misinterpreting what the Lord is saying here. So all I'm saying is uh, we will come back to understand that. But, but I think you'll get the impression of what, what is being said uh, as we read on because he says, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. 
And then he says, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So I want you to go back to verse 24 in your Bibles and look at what it says. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, remember that the statement of Jesus here in this verse contains words of great peace and of great assurance. Because it speaks of everlasting life as a present possession. A present possession. Something that you already have if you have heard the word and believed on the Lord. You have everlasting life. Now, those of you that brought your Bibles today, you probably have them there on your laps or in your hands, right? Do you have your Bibles? You have them presently, don't you? You have them with you. You're holding on to them. It's in your possession. That's pretty clear, isn't it? This is the same understanding here. Well, not that verse, but verse 24, the one that's in your Bible. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, believeth on him, trusts in him, puts their total weight and dependency upon him who sent Jesus, that is God the Father, has everlasting life. Has it. You have it. In your possession. It is yours. Salvation is not just something that we can have in the future. You know, there are some groups, some sects, some cults today, uh, religions as it were, that say, you know, we have to do so much before we can actually have any salvation whatsoever. We have to work at it. We have to be working at it and constantly knocking on doors or, or doing something for it. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation, as Jesus teaches it here, is something that we can have now. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. Something I can have now. Not by works of righteousness, which I or you or any of us have done, but according to His mercy. He has saved us. In Romans chapter 10, Paul states that one must hear to believe. What did Jesus say? He who hears my word. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You go a few verses earlier, verses 9 and 10, and he says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, so you have to confess it with your mouth, and then believe in thine heart that God, the Father, of course, has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The tenses in all of these statements... Tell us that when a person enters into this process, it remains theirs. As believers, we don't have to be uncertain about whether we have eternal life. 
We don't have to be uncertain. We, we don't have to sit and wonder, oh God, I wonder if I'm saved or not. I wonder, what else do I have to do? We don't have to be uncertain about it. In fact, John the Apostle, in his, uh, oh, by the way, I forgot, did I read verse 10? For with the hard men, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I forgot that last night too. (laughs) Senior moment. All right, so with a hard man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So when that is done, you have it. Not by what you've done, but you believe and you trust. Now, John says in 1 John 5, 13, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know. No, what does it say? That you may know that you have, that you have presently eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, Yeshua. The name of the Son of God, Yeshua. God is salvation. That is the name of Jesus. He is our salvation. So why is all of this important? Because Jesus claimed to give life and he also claimed the authority to judge. So when you look at verses 26 and 27 of our text, look at those two verses. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So the issue, or this issue now, was clearly covered last time as proof of Jesus' equality with his Father. We, we did cover that last time. And if you weren't here, you need to get the CD and, and listen to that. <coughs> Excuse me. But what becomes ever clearer, and even clearer, is that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has the power to give everlasting life to those who hear him and believe and trust in him. I want you to compare, if you will, some passages of scripture. Jesus has given us life. Now he's telling this to the religious leaders of of Israel who should know these things who should have been expecting these things from the one who was to come from the seed of David, the seed of the woman, Genesis 3. Should have been expecting this. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, notice what it says. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And we have to continue to emphasize the very fact that Jesus was from the very beginning. He was never created. He was the creator. There are a number of, of, of passages that we can go to, but all you need to do is read Colossians chapter 1 because that makes it very clear. Paul makes it clear in Colossians chapter 1 somewhere between verses 15 through 18, that in fact Jesus was the one who created all things and the one that holds all things together. 
And we can understand then that he is the one that can breathe into the nostrils of this man that he created out of the dust of the ground and give him life and make him a living soul. Or we can read a verse of scripture like Psalms 27 verse 1 where David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. But notice the next phrase, Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the strength of my life. And when you consider that strength, we don't give ourselves strength. When we're born into this world, we we can do nothing but make messes. They're always cleaning up after us, aren't they? The strength of our life comes from the one who gave us life. And, 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 And really the understanding here, the Lord is that strength. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D here. It is capitalized here in, 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 in this text, but it represents four letters in the Hebrew that are so precious to the, uh, to the, to the uh, Jewish people that they cannot even pronounce the name. Out of respect for it, they would rather use names like Elohim or Adonai, or they use the phrase Hashem, which means the name. They just say the name. But it is he, the name, which we have already said is Jesus because Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And those words, those letters, when translated, are translated also as I am. Is this not Jesus then, who is to be the strength of our life? He's the strength of our life. And of whom shall I be afraid? So when you read this in in its fullness and understand it from that perspective, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I mean, we were born in darkness, but we have come to the light of the glory of Christ. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If he is my salvation, do I have anything to fear? Do I have anyone to fear? And the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Folks, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear in this life. You have no one to fear in this life. I don't care if they're on CNN or Fox News every day. Oh, look at all this. Don't be here, man. Jesus is coming. The one who gave us life is coming. Okay, we do get upset. I think I explained this a couple of weeks ago that, you know, just in the flesh. You know, we're just in the flesh. We see things on the news. They're making these decisions. But then then you think and you stop and you say, oh, oh, but Jesus, this, this means that Jesus is coming. Then we rejoice. We've got to get out of this flesh, don't we? That's why we should always be praying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Okay. Why did I get into that? I don't know. All right. Here we go. John, at the very onset of his gospel, says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Again, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This is now speaking of the, the Logos. It's speaking of Jesus. The Logos, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. And then Jesus himself would say in John 10.10, 10, the, thief, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they, may have, they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, he didn't come just to give us physical life, which would be uh, 
based on a word called uh, bios, B-I-O-S, where, from which we get the word biology or, uh, you know, biological and all. That's, that's, just, that's just physical life. Here, J- Jesus uses the word zoe, Z-O-E, to express a different kind of, of, of life. It's, it's, in fact, used in this particular case as, as spiritual life, a spiritual life that does not end. And one that continues to come and grow in our lives more abundantly, you see. But the most important thing that Jesus does say about this topic is what he says in the next chapter, John chapter 11. Because it is in John chapter 11 that Jesus finds out that his good friend Lazarus is sick. And he's, uh, you know, he's not uh, there in Bethany with his friend, so he gets this news. He's a few days away, and uh, he receives a, a, a news that Lazarus is sick. And then Jesus just kind of just takes his time to get there. But all in good purpose. All with good reason. Because as soon as Jesus arrives in Bethany, the sisters of Lazarus come and they, and they say, they, they say, Jesus, if you had only been here, Lazarus would be alive. Now, sometimes we get down on them and say, well, you know, man, what, what are you saying that to the Lord? No, but you know what they were saying? They just lost their brother, and they said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. What were they saying? Jesus, you have life. They really trusted in the Lord. And so what, what Jesus does then is so significant here because he goes to the tomb. And then we're given this little, this little two-word verse, Jesus wept. And people say, oh, he wept his friend Lazarus. Oh, he's died. He was weeping because nobody believed that he could do this. He could actually bring Lazarus back from the dead. So to make the long story shorter, Jesus goes to the the tomb tells the men to move the stone out of the away from the tomb. And then I know I say this a lot, but Jesus said, you know, Jesus had to specifically say, Lazarus, come forth, because he would just said, come forth, and there were other tombs around there. Everybody would have come forth. So he says, Lazarus, come forth. And here comes Lazarus, you know. All wrapped up because they, you know, they wrapped him up and he looked like a mummy, you know. So, but you see, if he had only said "come forth," all these other people to come out, and then you, the people that said, "Oh, look, there's my mummy." No, I'm just kidding. I did this last night. Nobody got it, you know. <laughs> just trying to see if you're still here with me. Oh, look, my mummy. Okay, forget that one. Okay. Now he said, "Lazarus, come forth." And then Lazarus came forth. So what does he say? John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now notice this next thing he says. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believe thou this? In other words, do you believe this? That's the question. Do you believe this? And in verse 27 there of chapter 5, we find another proof. 
that Jesus is equal with God. Verse, verse uh, 27 of our text in, in chapter 5. And has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. What we need to key on here in this verse is Jesus' statement, because he is the Son of Man. Verse 27 of chapter 5, because he is the Son of Man. That title, Son of Man, is in fact a messianic title. It is a messianic title. It is a title that those religious leaders would have understood. He's saying he's Messiah. Now, if we say Son of Man, we would normally say, well, just kind of, uh, just on a very basic level, you know, all of us gentlemen here are sons of man. You know, we, we had a father, right? We may not have known our father, we may have known him well, we may have not known him well, but we could say we're sons of men, so we could say I'm a son of man. But not in the, not in the Hebraic and Judaic understanding of the phrase, because that phrase, the son of man, would be only used for Mashiach, the Messiah. In fact, we're told in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. The picture is clear that the Son of Man, Yeshua, Jesus, would come to the Ancient of Days, very clearly then a description of the Father, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion. Who, who else would receive dominion but the Son of Man or the Son of God? Who would then become the Son of Man in that he was born of man into this world, yet he is fully Son of God. And there was given him dominion and glory. And remember, God doesn't share his glory with anyone. But the Son of Man was given glory. And a kingdom. Who, else, who do we call our king? But the one who has dominion and glory and power and honor and praise. And that all people, nations and languages should serve him. Eventually, when would that happen? Well, when this son of man would come and rule in Jerusalem on the throne of David for a thousand years, which is yet to come, but it's coming soon. Coming soon to your local earth. It's coming soon. And then in verse 14, the second part, it says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And His kingdom that which, uh, and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. A lot of kingdoms being destroyed. A lot of kingdoms have been destroyed over the many, many centuries of the existence of this world. But there's coming one that will never be destroyed. And that's the kingdom of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So now, the next proof that Jesus is equal with God is His power to resurrect all men from the grave. To resurrect all men from the grave. It is His voice. Again, notice, His voice. 
the word, the power of Jesus. Did the, did, the, did the words of Jesus have power? Do the words today of Jesus have power? The word of God has power. It is the word that shall resurrect all that are in the graves. All that are in the graves. Let's look at verses 28 through 30 of our text. It says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Now, if you've been with us on the last couple of Wednesday nights as we've been studying the Feast of Trumpets, and by the way, we're, we're not even done yet with the Feast of Trumpets, so again, we're going to come back this coming Wednesday and, and try to finish it this Wednesday. Uh, there is that much in two verses that even the Jews don't know much about. Yet throughout all of Scripture, the Feast of Trumpets is, is the, one of the most significant feasts, not only for Israel, but most importantly for the church. I'll leave it at that, and you've got to come and find out why. But we've been talking about the very fact that when the dead in Christ shall rise first, you know, in other words, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where, where the promise of the rapture of the church is given to us by the Apostle Paul, and of course it's not the only place, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well, when he talks about being, you know, at a moment at the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, and, and then we tied the trump together with, with the voice of God, and it's the voice of a trumpet, sounding to call the dead to rise, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and, and this shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. I comfort you by saying, listen, be ready, because the Lord's coming for us. So we need to be ready for that. But it's all about what we hear. It's about the voice. So it says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming into which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. But now notice, all that are in the graves... Not just believers in this case, because what he says is this. He says, for uh, they that have done, uh, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Again, we'll come back to this. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. So there are three Three crystal clear facts that, are verse, uh, that these verses tell us regarding eternity. Three crystal clear facts. You ready? Got to get, have your pencils ready. Write them down. First of all, there is definitely life after death. There is definitely life after, that, uh, after death. There's no question from what Jesus says. There is a resurrection for all that are in the grave. But there's a distinction about the resurrections. So, first of all, there's definitely life after death. Jesus is teaching that physical death is not the end of existence. Life here on earth is not the complete span for man. Oftentimes, of course, when one of our loved ones passes away, we put down their birth date and the date that they, they passed on. But that's not the complete span for man. There's something that comes afterwards. Beyond this life, there is another different existence which one cannot avoid. 
And this is what Jesus is speaking of here. For secondly, here's the second thing, everyone will be affected by it. Everyone will be affected by life after death. Verse 28 says, all that are in the graves. This means all without exception. All that are in the graves. And thirdly, all mankind will fall into two categories. One of two categories. All mankind will fall into one of two categories. Death is not the end. All will stand before the Lord with judgment unto life for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, let me emphasize that because I don't want you to miss it. All will stand before the Lord with judgment unto life, life, L-I-F-E, for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, judge, and, and that, So that's one category. And then judgment unto condemnation for all the rest standing for those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what Jesus says. There's a resurrection unto life and there's a resurrection unto eternal condemnation. When some who have yet to place their trust in Jesus Christ hear of this kind of judgment, they still refuse to believe it and then they say things like, I don't believe a God of love would condemn anyone. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you even said it at one time. I don't believe a God of love could condemn anyone. Well then you don't know God. And he wants us to know him. Folks, God is not the Wizard of Oz. He's not hidden behind some curtain, you know, pulling all kinds of buttons, and then a little dog pulls the curtain back and he says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. He has revealed himself as a God who has the power to create with his word all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all of it was created to be good for those he would create to place into it. But because of sin, because of death, now we are faced with that choice. He is a God of love who does not desire that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That's his desire. You know, there are other people that also say that, you know, they, they state that all they ask is, 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 is uh, uh, of God, they, all they ask of God is justice. They, they say, well, you know, God just needs to be just. There's so much injustice in the world, God just needs to be just and just, boom, wipe out everybody who's ever done anything wrong. Like if they never did anything wrong. Right? Justice, justice. Yeah, get him. Yeah, you know. Wipe him out. Well, I pity the person who is satisfied with justice when mercy is available. When mercy is available. So here it is. Life or death. Please consider the, the realities in one of the greatest statements ever made in the scriptures. You know what it is. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But don't stop there. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. He that believeth on Him. He that trusts in Him. He that has faith in Him. He that puts His full weight of dependency upon Him shall not be condemned. Because, or, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Were they not given the same opportunities? We're all given the same opportunities here. God is not an unjust God. But he that believeth not, you don't want to believe it. You don't want to trust in him. Maybe you trust more in yourself, or maybe you trust more in others, but you don't want to trust in God. Was it God who did this? There's no way that he did this. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What name? God is salvation, Yeshua. And this is the condemnation. And, and, and again, Jesus is, is laying this so clearly out to us. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And time and again, even in the Hebraic Jewish mindset, everything is to go from darkness to light. Why? Because God is light. And it is light that He has given us. But He has given us the opportunity to make the decision to believe or not to believe. But at the same time, we do not save ourselves. For none of us went to the cross. And none of us shed our blood for the sins of men. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God, done in God, accomplished in God. From the beginning, it is God who has saved us and not ourselves. It is God, through his Son, the express image of His person that has saved us if we believe and if we trust in Him. You see, our little problem that we might have in verse 25, where, or I should say 24, where He says, He that hears my word believes. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, no, um, uh, let's go back. Uh, uh, verse 29, uh, he, uh, shall come forth they that have done good unto resurrection of life. I think it, 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 it comes down to this. Here, here's the real simple answer. The real simple answer is, what is doing good? Very simply, it is believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is believing the gospel. 
and those who do not believe. Now all that's left, there are no other options. All that's left then is condemnation. And the, and the question of Jesus comes back to us. Believest thou this? Do you believe this? That I am the resurrection and the life. And that he who believes in me, though he may die physically, shall live eternally, spiritually forever. The judgment of Christ will be a just judgment. He will judge precisely as he hears, exactly as God wills. He hears and does the will of God perfectly and therefore he will, go, uh, he, he will hear God and he will execute God's judgment exactly as he wills. Only men who have lived godly lives will take part in that resurrection of life. But it's only because of what God has already done in changing us because we believed in the only begotten Son of God. All others will come forth to the resurrection of damnation. So there are only two resurrections. The first is a resurrection of life for all those that come to Jesus Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior. And you're saying, aren't you repeating yourself? Yes! Because I don't want you to miss this. The first is the resurrection of life for all those that come to Jesus and receive Him as Lord and Savior. That's, that started at the resurrection of Jesus and will continue on through the tribulation period into the thousand-year reign of Christ. This is the resurrection of life. But for those who reject Christ, they are part of the second death, something we read about in the book of Revelation. And we'll come back to this next week because of what we're going to return to before we move on. But they are part of the second death or the resurrection of the dead which will take place at the great white throne judgment after the millennial reign of Christ and they will be eternally separated from Christ in the lake of fire. Now why do I say this today? Because that is a sobering thought. That is a sobering thought and I wonder how many people today in the church of Jesus Christ think sobering thoughts about what happens if you don't come to Jesus. And maybe not about self, but about others. It's a sobering thought. If all we're interested in in the church today is entertainment and all kinds of other things and all kinds of, you know, I'm looking for something that's going to make me feel good. Really? Well, you know what makes me feel good is that if I commit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and I and I lay down my life for him, then I don't have to worry about eternity because Christ has already taken care of that for me. But if all we care about is what we get, what we can feed ourselves with is from the standpoint of what makes us feel good, and if we stop making, you know, we go someplace and we don't feel good about it, you know, well, I'm not going to go there anymore because I don't feel good. And we're talking too much about hell. Well, you have to blame Jesus for that because he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. All right, I've got to bring this to a close here. You, you got, guys got me going here. But it's a sobering thought. And I don't want you to lose that. It's a very sobering thought. But God's judgments are always fair. God's judgments are always fair. They are always righteous. Let me close with this. We're, we're going to close with Psalm 9, verses 8 through 10. So turn to Psalm 9, and, and let's just close with this. 
speaking of the Lord. It says, and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. In other words, he's just and upright in all of his ways. We will, we will never have to worry that the Lord as the judge is going to be like the judges on those TV shows where people come to the, you know, Judge Judy or Judge, you know, uh, whoever. And they argue with each other and then eventually, you know. And then you know what you're, what you're sitting there doing when you watch these programs, you're saying, look at all these liars. Don't they know that liars will not inherit the kingdom of God? And they're lying about each other, and they, but they have to lie a little bit, you know, just a little bit, you know, just to see who gets the, who gets the call, you know, whatever. That's not our God. Our God judges righteously. So he shall judge the world in, in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed. Does, does that help anybody here tonight or today? He helps the oppressed. And he is a refuge in times of trouble. And man, we, as we heard even in Bruce's songs today, there are times we face troubles. But he's there. He's there. But notice verse 10. And they that know thy name. Do you know his name? They that know thy name. Will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. Do you know his name? His name is Jesus. Yeshua, God is salvation. He said, Come to me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. God says, come. Jesus says, come. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. Folks, the Lord said, if you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. Have you sought him that way? Have you sought him with a, with a sobering thought, a sobering mind, a, a sobering heart because of what we see today? The Lord is saying, come to me. I'm encouraging you to come to Jesus Christ, not to a church, not to a person, not to a pastor, a preacher, a minister. Come to Jesus and begin a personal relationship with the one who made you and knows you better than you know yourself. Find no pride in knowing about Jesus. That's not enough. I know a lot of people who know a lot about Jesus. I want to know people who know Jesus and know him by name. Father, thank you for the preciousness of your word.
remind us, Lord God, as often as is necessary to keep our thoughts upon you. We need, Lord, our every thought to be brought into the captivity of Christ. Because too often the enemy is going about searching whom he may devour and he begins with our minds and our thoughts. Help us in that, Lord. Help us, we pray. Set us free from ourselves, Father. If we are then risen with Christ, we need to seek those things which are above where Christ even now sits at your right hand. And we need to set our affections on things that are above and not on things on this earth. And simply because we are dead and our life is hidden with Christ in you. So may we continue to seek you and find you as we search for you. With every thread of our being. Move upon the hearts here that are needy of you right now and need to receive you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.